He's a retired wildlife officer that specialized in working undercover. He's here to talk about working undercover as a wildlife police officer. He loved working undercover so much that after retiring from his career as a wildlife officer, he went to work for a law enforcement agency as a narcotics investigator. He's here to tell the story on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com, and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. Joining us from Michigan, we have Bruce Borkovich on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Bruce is a retired Michigan wildlife police officer. By the way, we just had his brother on the show not that long ago, John Borkovich as well. And after retiring from a full career as a wildlife officer, he went to work for another law enforcement agency as a narcotics investigator and then became a police chief. And then he found time to write a book called Wild Things, Out Patrol and Undercover with the Michigan Game Warden. His website is BruceBorkovich.com. Bruce, thanks for your service and thanks for being a guest on Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Both very much appreciated. You bet. And uh, thank you for that introduction. And I appreciate uh, your show. I think this is uh, it's a good thing. And uh, I think it helps to, you know, uh, help people understand the profession. So I'm uh, glad to be here. I'm glad you are too. And number one, your brother and I had a long conversation about the, you know, the misunderstandings about what game wardens, so that's a term a lot of people use. So wildlife officers, uh, my in Florida, the Fish and Wildlife Commission, and Maryland Department of Natural Resources, they're police. And I, to be totally honest with you, when I was a youngster and doing police work, I didn't really comprehend what they did either. Right. And, uh, you know, it does vary state to state, but uh, Michigan actually had the first paid game wardens in the United States. And so in Michigan, uh, uh, conservation officers, game wardens, you know, there's different uh, handles, but uh, they're all uh, our police officers. We have to go through a, uh, a police academy. We have the same arrest authority as a state trooper, but they spend the majority of their time enforcing the hunting and fishing laws, the boating, uh, recreational safety laws, uh, you know, off-road vehicles, uh, environmental laws, uh, stuff like that. And by the way, it's a lot more dangerous than people realize because a lot of them are by themselves. Mm -hmm. You're going into areas where people are are hunting, they have weapons. Uh, Quite often they're under the influence of alcohol. Uh, If they're breaking the law already, you're already dealing with an armed, under the influence person, and it could be hairy very quickly. It really can. And, and boy, you sure learn some skills of diplomacy and how to talk your way uh, through things, because very often you're in remote areas. There are times where I've been in areas I, I really couldn't describe to dispatch where I'm at. 
And um, uh, so we're often alone. And as you mentioned, uh, the folks that uh, we're dealing with very often are armed. Now, you know, 99.9% of them aren't intending to harm you. Uh, but the capabilities there and mix some intoxication in and some fear of going to jail or getting in trouble and uh, bad things can happen for sure. I remember chasing a car thief into some woods in the northwest district of Baltimore, into actually Baltimore County, and trying to tell the dispatcher where I was, and I couldn't come up with a location. And that reminded me, I'm sure this happened with you as well, one of the things that when we were young police in field training, our field training officers would yell at us quickly, quick, where am I? What intersection (laughs) we just passed? And if we didn't know, there's like, if I get shot, how can you call in for help if you don't know where you are? And they make us run back to the street sign, come up to the intersection, and come back. And they do that all the time. Did it happen with you? Uh, you know, um, interestingly enough, uh, <laughs> when I was hired on, so we're talking about in 1986, there was not a what we call a FTO or field training officer program. It was, uh, it, there was next to nothing. So in Michigan, um, we have over a million uh, deer hunters uh, who rifle hunt. And November 15th is a holiday in Michigan. I mean, literally many schools uh, districts don't have class on November 15th because it's the opening day of firearms uh, deer season. And I graduated with my group from the police academy on November 14th. Ah. So we stood out in formation uh, after the graduation ceremony, there were, I think, uh, 14 of us. There were 14 Dodge diplomats lined up, and we were assigned a car. Inside of the trunk was one uniform, one fatigue uniform, a gun belt, a four-inch revolver, a two-inch revolver, uh, some ammunition, boots, hats, coats, stuff like that, and a stack of ticket books and a map of the state of Michigan. And we were instructed to open the map and there was a county circled, and that's where you're going to be assigned permanently. Now get the and work. We were, yeah, we were told to, okay, tomorrow's opening day, go to work. So that- I rode with my sergeant for uh, uh, for just uh, a couple days, and then I was on my own. So um, I didn't get the luxury of having that type of training. We didn't have an extensive FDO program back when I was a rookie as part of our academy class. And I think I was I did two days or three days with a, a uniformed officer who's experienced when I graduated, first got assigned, and then as soon as they needed me to, to handle calls, they're like, you're on your own. I was given a battery for a radio, given a map, and I never made it to my first call for service. I still don't, to the life of me, I don't know where that is. <laughs> That sounds pretty familiar. Yeah, and um, (laughs) inevitably what happens is those 10 codes go out the window, can't remember those things either. And But uh, by the way, so you were a wildlife officer. Your brother John was a wildlife officer. Is there someone else in your family that was a wildlife officer? Yeah, brother Mike. So three of us, um, uh, uh, John and I went to the academy together. Three of us were all... Uh, conservation officers in Michigan at the same time. It's the first time in the history of the United States that we know of that that has happened. Uh, Lansing, uh, uh, you know, they did a check back when we served, and they they were unable to find anyone else. They had brother-sister combinations, two brothers, uh, father-son, 
a father-daughter, but they didn't have any combinations of three brothers in all at the same time. And uh, so that was pretty unique, and we all were fortunate enough to win the uh, the Michigan Wildlife Officer of the Year Award in our respective years. So uh, we, we, you know, I think we made an impact out there. Sounds like you did. And by the way, a big thanks to all your brothers as well. Uh, that's got to be a thankless job. And I, I got to say this. My first day at my first on-air position at a radio station was in Pennsylvania between State College and Buffalo, New York. And the day that we got there was opening day of rifle season, and all the schools were closed. And my wife, I call her the boss, was like, what did you take me to? Because I'm not a hunter, and she wasn't either. And people were driving around with deer carcasses on their hoods and and all wearing orange. She was like, oh, what is this? What is this? <laughs> That's that's it. In rural America, it's a it's a big deal. Uh, it's a huge deal, and you can imagine, you know, uh, seven hundred and fifty thousand to a million people in the state of Michigan uh, out hunting at the same time. Uh, you know, you've got uh, most people complying well, but you've got accidental crimes, intentional crimes, and then hunting accidents, accidental shootings. And, uh, you know, it, it, it can be a zoo sometimes. It sure can. We are talking with Bruce Borkovich. He is a retired wildlife officer from the state of Michigan. <laughs> After retiring from that career, he went to work with another law enforcement agency as a plainclothes narcotics investigator, then became a police chief, then wrote a book called Wild Things on Patrol and Undercover with the Michigan Game Warden. His website is BruceBorkovich.com. When we return, we're going to talk about his career working undercover as a wildlife officer. This is a Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I want to tell you about a product, actually a line of products, that have changed my life dramatically. Health products. I know many of you, like me, are skeptical about claims made for these nutritional supplements. However, these Juice Plus products have made a world of difference for me. The simplest, cheapest, least expensive product they have. As a result of taking it, a chewable berry flavored product. I've had full night's sleep every night and zero leg cramps. I know doesn't seem like a lot, but getting good night's sleep and having a stable mood helps me quite a bit. You can get more details about Juice Plus products at letpops.com. That's letpops.com. And for those of you looking for a great business opportunity, check out letpops.com. Welcome back to the Law Enforcement Talk radio show. We are joined by Bruce Borkovich. Bruce is a retired Michigan wildlife officer. His brother, John Borkovich, was on a show recently. He was also a wildlife officer. And he's a brother named Mike, which hopefully we'll get him on in the future. One of the things that I did not get, and by the way, Bruce, after retiring from a full career as a wildlife officer, continued working in law enforcement. First as a plainclothes narcotics investigator, then became a police chief. And he also wrote a book, On Patrol, Wild Things, On Patrol and Undercover with a Michigan Game Warden. His website is BruceBorkovich.com. Bruce, one of the things in your career that I never really understood was wildlife officers working undercover. And that was especially for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it, it really was. And uh, 
at the time, so there was a special investigation unit in Michigan uh, prior to my promotion, but they had some, some troubles. It wasn't managed very well, so it was they got rid of it, and then the chief decided to bring it back. So they started with two detectives for the entire state of Michigan. So I had the entire lower peninsula, and my partner had the entire upper, upper peninsula. And what we targeted uh, were the major complaints of commercialization of, of wildlife. It's illegal in just about any state to sell, buy or sell uh, wildlife and commercialize wildlife. So we worked at, and then we were in charge of the undercover operations, which were by far the most effective way to do some of these things. So I ran some of the craziest uh, and, you know, fortunately, most successful undercover operations in Michigan history. And I did that for about uh, seven years. Uh, I, w- I was undercover. And at the time, we did what, what's called what's considered deep cover work, where we'd actually live with these people. I had a complete false identity. I had a, a, a false Social Security number and, and a credit card and bank account, a complete false identity. And sometimes I, the one particular case... I think I was lived with them for four straight days, uh, eating their food, doing the things they're doing, sleeping in their ratty houses, uh, uh, and that pushed me about as uh, about. To, if a, a man wonders where his limits are, I could tell you where mine were because that took me just about to my limits. Yeah, I can't understand. And I'd be honest, with you, I worked plain clothes. I got assigned to DEA. I was very good as a plain clothes narcotics investigator. I was horrible horrible at undercover work and i jokingly tell people i could be the 85 year old guy at an old folks home and they'll go shh there's 5-0 i look like a cop <laughs> uh, apparently i talk like one and i'm okay with that but you, you've got to be able to be uh, what's the term a good actor there's no question that's exactly what it is you have to remove yourself from who you are and you have to be a great actor and i, I when i trained others and did seminars, I would tell uh, the officers the first 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds of that covert or undercover contact are critical. That's when you make or break the case. And I think, I don't think it's anything to brag about, but I think people, some people are just born with the ability to do it and some aren't. And I don't think it's because, you know, uh, one person is smarter uh, than the other. It's just, it, it's a gift I had. And I could talk my way out of anything. And uh, obviously, you know, it was very uh, convincing um, and had a lot of success at it. And I do not uh, look like average Joe criminal. I, you know, I, I, I worked out my whole life. I'm 6'2", 230 pounds. I was, you know, in shape. Um, I had a goatee and my hair a little longer, but I didn't have tattoos and piercings and ponytails. And I didn't look like a 110 pound meth head. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I did have my work cut out for me and my teeth are straight and, and, and clean. And, you know, there, there's certain things now, there were things that I did to fight some of those physical, um, attributes that I had that were fairly successful, but, uh, it, it, it's, it's a knack for sure. One of the things you said, Bruce, that really resonated with me was, what's the old saying? There's, you don't get a second chance to make a good first impression. You said the first 15 seconds uh, of your contact with an, uh, as an undercover are, are crucial. 
They really are. And, you know, I could extend that depending on the circumstances, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. Maybe it's an hour. But that is where you make or break it. And interestingly enough, I had my biggest challenges from women, uh, wives or girlfriends. I think uh, women naturally have some instincts and some intuition that men don't have. Yeah. And I found it easier to fool the guys uh, than I did uh uh, I would have some women who are a little suspicious of me, but uh, that that first uh, contact is critical. I, I ran a nine-month undercover case, and, it, and it's in my book. It's called Operation Kerr. But there was a group of uh, people up in northeastern Michigan uh, illegally killing and selling black bears, bobcats, uh, badgers, uh, a few other things. And um, so my initial... Uh, contact was in a really, really rough area of uh, uh, southwestern Michigan. Uh, it's called Muskegon Heights. Um, and if you were um, if you were white in that area, you were either a cop or a crackhead. And uh, my initial contact with one of the the, the uh, bad guys was a writer for a magazine called Full Cry Magazine, and I made contact with him to get up to these other people. But uh, when we made our first trip up north um, to get this thing started, I already had him full. And uh, we get up there on our way up, right in front of us witness a fatal um, uh, uh, gasoline tanker crash right in front of us, 6,000 gallons of uh, gasoline out. The driver was instantly killed. Uh, he hit a traffic light. The traffic light fell down through a little Ford Escort right down through the back seat. And it landed on the back seat a foot away from an infant in a car seat. This, it was the most bizarre set of circumstances you can imagine. But we end up at the bad guy's house up northeast Michigan. And the main suspect, he was pretty wary of me. And I'm in there trying to do my thing. We're sitting around a table. And he uh, <clears throat> he didn't talk. Everyone else was. He didn't talk much, and he came went to bed, and he came out. And he's he's close enough across the table that if I got my butt up and reached, I could have punched him in the face. Um, but he brought out a Glock magazine was in it, and a Glock handgun. I assumed it was loaded. He didn't point it at me; it pointed it parallel to me, but just stared at me, just just drilling my eyes, and and that right that that is where you can make or break the case he's trying to flush me out he's trying to make me nervous make me do something make me say something and i just ignored it and uh, then he came out with a a great big uh huge long knife that goes on the end of a spear these guys would uh, sit up in a tree and they'd uh, try and spear a bear when it came in underneath him and he had that pointed across the table about <clears throat> foot and a half from my chest just looking at me and i i didn't uh I didn't budge, but I remember my thought was there's about, uh, I think there were nine people at the table, you know, all called bad guys. I mean, there were a couple of teenagers there that uh, the, the kids of his girlfriend that were there, but I had a five shot snubby hidden in my crotch. And I remember thinking, I can't even fight my way out of this house. But I also remembered I, I, I had a tendency in my career when, when things were hairy and crazy, I'd get really calm. Well, let's take a short break on that note. Return to that conversation in just a moment. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We're talking with Bruce Borkovich. we got so much more heading away. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. A 
of all the radio stations in the United States. There are no other shows like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. And be sure to like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. Back to our conversation on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show with Bruce Borkovich. He's a retired wildlife officer from Michigan. He also, after he did a full career, worked as a plainclothes narcotics investigator for another law enforcement agency, became a police chief, and wrote the book Wild Things. On patrol and undercover with a Michigan game warden. His website is BruceBorkovich.com. Bruce, before we went to break, you're talking about this, and I'm starting to get the, the little hairs in the back of my neck standing up. And no matter how much I try with the barber, I can't get rid of those things. <laughs> when the, the 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 bad guy was kind of drilling you with a gun and a knife, and I, I I looked, I don't get really upset about a lot of things, but if you don't play with guns, and if you point one in my general vicinity, I'm going to treat it like it's loaded, and like you're you're going to try to kill me. How did you keep your composure? You know, one of the secrets uh, to effective undercover work, and any of the police officers out there who've done it. They're going to be nodding their head right now, even though we can't see them, is you keep your eye on the prize. And good undercover officers are very competitive. In other words, here's my target. I'm going to do anything within the legal uh, uh, limits to make this case and and arrest this guy. So I stayed focused on that. I do remember, though, uh, you know, I had a five-shot snub-nosed revolver hidden in my crotch. And I, I remember thinking, I don't have enough rounds to fight my way out of this. But uh, what I immediately did is I prioritized. So I knew that if it hit the fan, I was going to put a bullet in the head of the main bad guy across from me. And then I had a hierarchy of people who, you know, greater threat to lesser threat. I wasn't worried about the teenage boy and teenage girl. I wasn't worried about the girlfriend of the, uh, uh, of the uh, main suspect. I thought if they come at me, I'd knock them out and, and, and get out of there. But uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't flush. I didn't, I, I didn't acted like it didn't bother me. And that, that's what got this guy to, um, to relax around me. And ironically enough, I tape recorded, I had a hidden video recorder for a lot of these transactions and nine months into it toward the end of this, I've got him um, and I do public speaking. I do uh, keynote speakers and I've got this video as part of my uh, presentation, but I've got him on camera. He's talking, bragging about all the things he's done. Killed 55 in one year. He kept a book, killed 55 cats, 47 dogs, and every wildlife animal he saw. He's just a maniac. But then he not he says, but knock on wood, and he bangs on the table three times. I've never been busted by the DNR. Of course, he's telling this to an undercover. Uh, uh, yeah. well, guess what was coming shortly after that? Exactly. And we had the state police emergency services team do his search warrant because he, he was a pretty bad guy. And yeah, he, he got the surprise of a lifetime. When he was arrested, he a lot of times these, these so-called bad guys will blurt out something. Yeah, I knew you were a cop. And I always want to say this. If you knew I was a cop, why did you continue? They they do that. There's a couple things unique. First of all, uh, another other undercover cases I've had. People say, now I have to ask you this. Are you in any way state or f- affiliated as a state, local, or federal officer? And you laugh and say no and come up with something silly. They actually think that you have to tell right. the truth. Well, they think you have to but, tell them the truth, and you don't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And But 
what was interesting on this case, I, I still think to this day there was a homicide attached to this group, an unsolved homicide of a of a uh, of a, a female. I won't go into details, but um, after he got arrested, um, he wanted to talk. And I think he may have wanted to talk about that, get himself out of trouble. But when I came in to interview him, he wouldn't accept the fact that I was a cop. And I showed him my badge and ID. He wouldn't even look at it. He says, listen, my, my fake name was Walt. He said, listen, Walt, I know who you are. And, you know, I know who you are. He, he thought I was an informant and that I'm trying to get myself out of trouble. And he was almost saying, like, I understand why you did what you did. Because betrayal is one of the most powerful emotions someone can can endure. Right. right. And uh, but he he didn't want to see the badge, the ID card. He just waved it off. I, I know who you are. You ain't that isn't you. You don't have to play that game. So it, you're right. Sometimes they'll do that. But other with if sometimes when you do a really good job, they won't believe that you're law enforcement. I got to ask this. And look, I think it's easier to think you've been betrayed by someone that was an informant than it is to say you got tricked by an undercover. Absolutely. No, no no question. Because it's that betrayal and that personal insult that this person, I am so stupid. I am so desperate, whatever, that this person ran this ruse on me. That's a pretty powerful emotion. Yeah. And look, look, I, I found for me that uh, anger was an emotion that kept a lot of people away and it kept me safe until it didn't any longer. And But that's a different discussion for a different day. Yeah. Did yeah. you find, now you did an entire career working wildlife and I never, ever, ever thought of undercover. Now that makes total sense to me because of the right. the commercialization, the selling of, of uh, wildlife and all those right. other things. And I know that other countries do that. I just, for some reason, am ignorant to the fact that it happens in the United States. So thank you for doing that. Did you find that the skills you learned as a wildlife officer, in particular working undercover, served you well for narcotics investigation? Because you did that at the after your, in your next career. I did. So I, I retired on a Friday from the Michigan DNR, went to work the following Monday for a state police narcotics team. We have regional narcotics teams that handle several counties. I did that for seven years. I ended up being the assistant team leader. But a lot of the, uh, there were a lot of parallels and a lot of the skills I had gained uh, made me pretty effective. Now, as you know, in most drug teams, uh, there's not a ton of undercover work that the cops do. We're using informants 95% right. of the time. Right. But, but there were times uh, uh, that, you know, I did undercover cases. I, we had an informant who, uh, 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 he, he was a typical informant. You could believe him about 10% of the time. But as far as he can throw him, yeah. right? Absolutely. We used to say today's uh, uh, CI is tomorrow's S1, you know, yep, what I mean, suspect. Yep. But so he set up a, a kilo deal. And of course, we're not going to let him do it because you're talking uh, the, the $27,000 deal. So we got $27,000 in cash, put it in a box, got a, a vehicle we'd seized, and took off to Lansing, Michigan, about an hour from where we're at. And and I, I witnessed one of the most sophisticated surveillance operations I've ever seen. I could not believe the bad guy sent us from one place to another, and we'd show up here, and someone would drive by us, and they'd say, okay, go through the car wash. Actually, get your car washed. And they had part of their network in there working a car wash who came and looked in the vehicle and looked at me, and it was incredible. Uh, uh, and the whole time, I had a, a, 
a little para ordnance forty five uh, 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 pistol, and I had it right underneath my right leg. I'm driving the vehicle. I'm posing as the uncle of the informant. I'm the money guy. And uh, and um, long story short, here it went on for probably an hour and a half from here to there to another way. Well, we had our surveillance crew. And we had a surveillance crew from Lansing. We had two crews on this. And it it started to get spooky. And the boss decided to take take down who we could take down. Turns out that uh, they were going to rip us. Yeah. The whole intention the whole time was to rip us. And, that's of course, what, that's, that the alarm bells were going off a, on my head, Bruce, that, you know, th- is this them being overly cautious or are they planning to to rob you? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, we do know that the suspects were capable of kilo deals. But in this case, I think uh, I think they were going to rob us. And, of course, it was going to be a gunfight because whoever was coming up to the door with a gun was going to get one in the head, hopefully, uh, before I got one. So, so uh, but, you know, a lot of the skills that I had learned about keeping cool and saying the right things and not overreacting, uh, for some reason, just the way I'm wired is the the crazier, more ridiculous the situation is, dangerous situation is. Uh, I would get a calm that would come over me. I imagine my didn't feel like my heartbeat would be over sixty beats per sure, minute. And I'm sure you look calm on the outside, but not so much on the inside. This is Law Enforcement oh, I, Talk I was, Radio I was Show. Ready to rock We're going to return rock to our conversation with Bruce Borkovich in just a moment. There's so much more good stuff anyway. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Discover the exciting world of podcasts at hefepods.com. From captivating stories to life advice and much more, there's a podcast for every interest and passion. Be entertained by your favorite radio personalities in both English and Spanish. Don't waste any more time. Find a great English or Spanish language podcast to follow and discover a world of possibilities in your own language. Find the best podcasts at hefepods.com. What is the Haunting or Not podcast? It's a free podcast that takes a different approach to ghost stories, hauntings, and cases of demonic forces. Husband and wife podcast hosts mix comedy, facts, and a healthy dose of police evidence skepticism to help you decide. Are these hauntings or not? Helping you decide what's real and what is fake or an overhyped exaggeration. From world-famous cases to lesser-known reports, they talk about them all in the Haunting or Not podcast, available for free on most podcast platforms. Or do a Google search for Haunting or Not podcast. Turn conversation with Bruce Borkovich on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Bruce is a retired Michigan wildlife officer. His brother, John, was on a show not that long ago. He's got another brother. He's a retired wildlife officer as well. His name is Mike. After retiring from a full career as a wildlife officer, specializing in undercover work, he went to work for a plainclothes narcotics investigation law enforcement team for about seven years, then became a police chief, then wrote a book. I got to ask you this. Bruce, by the way, again, thanks for your service. And are you finally out of law enforcement? Are you done? <laughs> I am. I'm. I'm actually deputized in two counties. Come on, uh, man! You got to get yeah, away from well, that. Well, they, these two counties have a community college, 
and they provide the deputies provide some uh, police service there. And so I was doing that a little bit to keep my certification up until about a year ago or two years ago. Gas prices got so high. Uh, Both of those were our drives. And I I'm backing out of that. So I guess I'm still certified, but I'm not doing that. Well, I got to say this. I'm certified, but for different reasons, uh, being retired city police. Yeah. uh, These Borkovich boys, you can pass the word to all your brothers. It's okay to let other people do this. You you did your bit. (laughs) You're, You're right, because brother Mike, who's the oldest, and he was hired first for the DNR, he's the sheriff up in our most beautiful county in the state in Leland County. So, you got to get so, yeah, him. I, we got to get him on a show. We we got to get Yeah, him. you'd enjoy it. I'm going to give it. him a piece of my mind, trust me. <laughs> so, one of the things I got to ask you and uh, look, when I got promoted from police officer to sergeant, I really didn't understand what came with the territory. And I really didn't understand from a police officer's perspective, from a street cop's perspective, the, the obligations and responsibilities of the higher-ups, the admins. You became a police chief after working narcotics. How did that happen? So, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, if, if you would have asked me early on in my career if I ever wanted to go into administration, I would have laughed it off. And about six and a half years into the, the uh, drug team, I was the assistant team leader, and uh Long story short, we went to do a search warrant at an apartment. Normally, um, uh, we would have our breaching equipment. We didn't because we had a pass key. Stick the key in the door. The number one man in the door breaks off. So or the key breaks off. So we've we've announced, knocked, and announced. Lord knows what the bad guys are doing. So I start kicking the door, and I kick it about fifteen times. This is a steel apartment complex door. It doesn't go in. And after that, I got thinking, I think I was 55 years old, thinking, what am I doing? You know, I, I don't have enough common sense to, to not do this because it's so much fun. And I thought, what's left for me? And really, the only thing left in law enforcement was going to a leadership position. So um, uh, I, I started poking around a little bit. And uh, there's a university here in uh, Big Rapids, Michigan, uh, Ferris State University. And uh, by the way, the two-time national football champion two years in a row, but uh, luckily their uh, police chief position opened and I applied and my credentials uh, as an investigator and were tremendous, but my credentials as a, to be a police chief were pretty anemic. And uh, somehow I talked my way through it. I got hired and uh, I did that uh, uh, for eight years here until I got to my social security age. And uh, so, so that was neat. It was a new challenge. Um, uh, you know, there are lots of things I didn't like about it. There's a ton of things I loved about it. I loved the, the students at Ferris State. I loved interacting with them. We tried to create an atmosphere where the kids knew we're not here to arrest you or give you a ticket. We're here to keep you safe. And I was very close with the, as a former athlete with the athletic teams, all the teams, uh, uh, but especially the football team. And, and so there were some really great parts. That was a neat way to finish out my career. Well, good on you. Uh, I, I say that with all sincerity because a lot of – I'll be totally honest with you, Bruce. A lot of police chiefs and administrators I don't think very highly of. Uh, you don't, don't sound like you. you don't sound like one of those cats. I, I, I don't blame you um, at all. I've done some mentoring with some young chiefs and assistant chiefs, and I said the first thing you should do your first day in the job, go in your office and type your letter of resignation. And the minute someone, city council, the the 
the president of the university, the county commissioners, someone ask you to do or make decisions that you know aren't right, give them your letter of resignation. And we do not have enough police chiefs in America who are willing to do that. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing is, above all, no matter what, take care of your people. Yeah. Number one, take care of your people. Um, and, you know, if you do those things, you'll have some success. But we have a lot of police chiefs who uh, who aren't prepared to do one and don't do the other. Well, I have an old saying that, and was it Virgin Airlines said the the customer is not the most important person; it's your employees because they're That's the right. ones who, who who interact with the customers. So, if we That's don't it. take care of our police officers, uh, who's going to take care of the people? And if we put the, all the emphasis on the people as citizens, where we want them to have a good experience, but we ignore our our enlisted officers, we're going to have an issue. We're going to have a problem. It's got to be a balanced Absolutely. approach. Absolutely. You know, there's an old saying I tried to live by. Train your people so they can go anywhere. Make them love you enough so they never want to leave. And and uh, that doesn't mean, you know, you have low expectations. You don't hold them accountable. But the people know in law enforcement, first and foremost, have to know uh, that you love them, that you've got their back. You're going to take it. care. You're going to train them, equip them, and you're going to back them. We got to shift gears. Talk about your book. It's called Wild Things On Patrol and Undercover with a Michigan Game Warden. Did you write this when your police career was totally over, or did you start before you finished? I started when I was uh, uh, at the, uh, the university uh, as a police chief. I started. I had, every once in a while, I I think of a case and I I had a notebook and I just make a note. You know, such and such case, such and such case, this, that, and the other thing. And then I started to put it together, and uh, it took me several years to write it because I just wasn't sitting down and hammering it out. But uh, it, it's a pretty neat book, if I do say so. The first part, it, it, it's a memoir. So the first part is why I'm like I am, how I grew up, the crazy, stupid things I did as a kid, and interactions with wildlife, and just the dumb things I did as a younger brother. And then it goes into my time as a uniformed conservation officer but then it ends up uh with me uh going into a certain amount of detail on these undercover cases i try not to give away trade secrets to the bad guys but uh i go through some of the i ran a two-year deep cover investigation into the illegal trade of reptiles believe it or not and i did it in conjunction with an ohio investigator and the federal agents from the u.s fish and wildlife service turned out to be it's the biggest uh, an undercover investigation into the illegal trade of reptiles in United States history. So uh, I did some undercover work for Canada for two years. Uh, so I had some adventures that are just kind of hard to believe, and I can assure the reader that uh, everything in there, there's not one thing made up or embellished in that book. <laughs> did you write the book for therapeutic reasons, or is it just you want to get this out so people have a better understanding? Yeah, I, I, I really wanted to tell my story. I, I lived, I, I, I wrote in a book that, uh, uh, you know, um, I've endeavored to live an extraordinary life. And uh, if you leave an or, live an ordinary life, you'll have ordinary adventures. If you lead an extraordinary life, you'll have extraordinary adventures. And I just thought it would be something people would enjoy. And the feedback I get from the book is, is tremendous. From young teenagers, I, there's no profanity in the book. Uh, my brother John and I both intentionally wrote books with no profanity, so a, a nine or ten year old could read it and 
I've got nine or 10 year old girls who have read it and they laugh and they cry and they, they, they love it. It's one of their favorite books. So I just uh, thought it was a good story to tell. Well, it's a funny thing. I, I try to eliminate all cursing from my vocabulary. I don't succeed all the time, but radio has taught me that lesson yes. because if you don't use profanity in your everyday life, you're a lot less likely to use it when the microphone is turned on by accident in a radio studio. Bruce, again, thank you so much for your service as a wildlife officer in Michigan, as a plainclothes investigator for the state of Michigan, and for your service as a police chief. Be sure to check out his book, Wild Things, On Patrol and Undercover with the Michigan Game Warden. His website is bruceborkovich.com. Again, Bruce, thanks so much for being guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. All that is very much appreciated. And thank you for having me. I enjoyed our visit. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.